Hi everyone, welcome back to the UMA Financial Podcast. My name is Chad Kelly, and today I'll be discussing with Patrick Brady the importance and need of owning equities inside a retirement portfolio at almost every stage of someone's financial plan. Thanks for tuning in. Patrick, thanks for jumping back on our financial podcast again. Today Glad we're going to... Yeah, it's good to have you. We're uh, we're going to talk today about the importance of owning stocks or equities in your investment portfolio. Um, but before we jump into it, I want to re- refer to a a chart that we like to use with our clients. Um, when you think of your retirement, there's a number of factors you can control, and some that are completely out of your control. Why not kind of walk through some of those and kind of set the stage for a conversation? Okay. Um, so we've got uh, six points here. We'll start with the first two, things that are completely out of your control. Market returns and policy regarding taxation, um, savings and benefits. So the, the, the first thing, market returns. As much as we like to scream and yell at the TV when CNBC's on, we can't make the market go up or down, right? No. And so people, people believe they have control of market returns based upon um, uh, how they pick stocks, um, how they uh, do the asset allocation, and we'll lead into that, that asset allocation is the only way you can control something related to the market, but you cannot control market returns. Probably the one aspect that people have to be best at doing is controlling your behavior as market returns take place. Yeah, yeah. That is something that you need to to learn. Um, Generally, you learn how to behave when market returns are poorly by experiencing something bad and then watching your reaction and then looking backwards and saying, how did I behave during that period of time? Assuming that you're probably going to behave in a similar manner the next time it happens, but you can learn from that and say, okay, I'm going to do these three things. Um, I'm not going to watch markets um, as uh, regularly. Uh, maybe I'm not going to try to anticipate where the market's going to bottom uh, the next time, or I'm just going to call my advisor and get uh, backed off the cliff. Yeah. Um, there's things you can do to control market return behavior, but you cannot control market returns. Yeah, yeah. Um, th- that second point we brought up, uh, like taxation, for example. We can't control the tax code. There's some things, you know, no. government policy that you just – you say we just got to roll with it, right? Yeah, well, you know what? I think one of the bigger questions we get in relationship to policy changes go around the Roth IRA um, and also Social Security. Yep. Social Security is, is generally, when that topic is brought up with a client, they say, oh, that's not going to be there for me. Even when someone's in their 50s, they're saying this. Well, I, I've said it, I think, on this podcast before is I would be shocked if Social Security is ever taken out of the equation because it is a mainframe social structure of our economic system. And removing Social Security would be one of the most devastating things to our economy that could ever happen. Sure. Um, but you never know how it's going to be taxed. For instance, Social Security used to be tax-free until 1982. And um, President Ronald Reagan and Tip O'Neill got together on their negotiations of how to change the uh, Social Security structure and improved Social Security back in 1982. And that's when all of a sudden 85% of your Social Security became taxable. Yeah. yeah. 
No one saw that coming in the 1970s. They thought that would be a tax-free benefit. Yeah. Uh, some people say, well, what about the Roth IRA? Could that change? Um, you know, it could change. I don't think they'll ever take away, the, so this is my comment, not a prediction. I don't think they'll ever take away the tax-free benefit of a Roth on the outcome. But yeah. I can see them saying, at one point, you have to include it in your required minimum distribution. Force you to take it force out. Force you to take it out. You don't have to pay taxes on it, but that money gets put back into the taxation system. Yeah, exactly. And all of a sudden, it's it, it, the dollars get taxed again in a very different way. You still get to buy your, your TV with sales tax, but you didn't have to take taxes out from your Roth IRA to go buy the TV. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, the policies we can't change, but still... It's just like asset allocation. I, I don't know what's going to be up and down 10 years from now, but I can tell you that I also don't know what taxation changes will happen, so we have to diversify yeah. in both areas. We kind of plan for it, um, understanding that it's going to happen. changes are going to happen. But yeah. you know. um, One of the things we have some control over is longevity, I guess, exercising, eating healthy. Yeah. This is the real reason why I have Patrick on here, because he's uh, <laughs> so good at this, but... Uh, um, yeah, you, you, you more for my emotional control. Than <laughs> yeah. You have some control over that, right? You yeah. know, how we treat our bodies. Absolutely. We'll have some correlation with how long we live. You know, I had one of my favorite clients in the other day and he was here with his daughter and, um, he was uh, wanting to teach his daughter how to look at the stock market on an app on her phone every day. And, um, I paused him respectfully and I said, you know, don't look at your your phone stock market results every day. I would spend more time getting on a treadmill and making sure that your heart is in great shape so you can enjoy your money longer. Yeah. You know, you can take control of getting, taking care of your body. And I know that I'm talking to physicians, so we know the odds there. Are, they know it better than we do, but we do know longevity risk. We can manage that to some degree relative to um, taking care of ourselves. Yeah. yeah. And the market, I can't. No. Yeah. Watch CNBC while on a treadmill. Maybe that. <laughs> That's go. what you do. <laughs> yeah. Uh, one of the other things we do have some control over is earnings or amount of money we make over a lifetime. You know, maybe if someone, depending on what your yeah. your career, career path choices, is, schooling, mm-hmm. training, things like that, you can control to some degree how much money you're going to make. Totally. Um, one of the things we do have total control over is the amount of money we save versus spend. Um, and, and we've, we've had other podcasts on that and we'll continue to talk about that because these are one of the, the big levers you can really control when it comes to retirement is how much you're spending, how much you're saving. Yeah. And the one we're going to focus a little bit more on today and dive deeper into is asset allocation. Um, so asset allocation, mixture of investments, right? How much do we have in stocks? How much do we have in bonds? Those are the two general categories we typically look at stocks and bonds, equities and bonds, right? Yes. For, for the majority of Americans, because it's the most accessible asset classes that we can um, all have relative to the free market society. Yeah, yeah. You could throw real estate in there in yeah. a different way, but it's not quite as accessible on hard asset, yeah. except your home um, is, is, is something that we have. But going out there and buying a commercial piece of property is more difficult for most people. Yeah, absolutely. So you have to look at the cash bonds uh, and stocks composure component. One of the classic questions we get is, hey, you know, I'm knocking on the door of retirement. I've saved a lot of money. I've been a diligent saver. Aren't stocks risky? Do, do I even need stocks in my portfolio? 
Well, you need stock. We need stocks in our portfolio. The answer from most advisors is yes, and you need more than you probably realize. Yeah. Um, and you need to structure those stocks in a way that uh, when you're getting closer to retirement, that you are prepared for the ability of those stocks to go up and down that you cannot, going back to what you can't control, but you have them positioned in a way at least five years before retirement and most likely five years after retirement are very critical because we know those are the most critical years of any retirement plan, the pre-five and the post-five. Those asset classes need to be positioned in a way that correlate with how much risk you can take in pulling money out. Okay. So if you have, let's go to some classic examples. So if you go to a portfolio, for instance, that has 40% in stocks and 60% in bonds, and if you go bay, way back to the study done by, um, who's the guy that did a study in 1994? Bill Bengen. Bill Bengen, that's right. That's the landmark study that everything has been based on, on the 4% withdrawal rate. If you do a 4% withdrawal rate, and you start off with a million dollars, and you have 40% of your money in bonds again, so I mean stocks, stocks yeah. and 60% in bonds, you're going to net out after 30 years with about a million dollars, assuming year one, you take out $40,000, and then you go up with inflation. So if inflation has been 2%, year two, you take out $40,800. So every year you have an increase in inflation. If you take the same withdrawal rate, and you do it from someone that has it only in an FDIC bank account, you run out of money about year 25. Yeah, and you're, yeah. and it could be sooner than that, depending upon some needs that you're not anticipating. But if you're doing the same mathematical formula, you're, you're done at 25 years. All the money's gone, whereas 30 years, you still have a million bucks. Yeah. I think the test that was most recently run by JP Morgan was done 62 cycles, and they came out within a margin of error of about 4%. So... It's pretty well tested yeah. uh, on going back on this withdrawal rate versus how much stock to bonds you have. So kind of, the, I guess the gist of what you're saying is that if we go too conservative early on, yeah, you'll run out of money. Right. I think that the same is for the complete opposite, right? If you go too aggressive, you could run out of money. You could run out of money, yeah. And, and a lot of times people forget that um, the amount of money that you're going to pull out at the beginning is not necessarily the amount of money you're going to pull out at the end. Yeah. for your needs. So you do have people that uh, we have ways as advisors on structuring portfolios in different buckets so that during your healthy years, you can spend more money. Um, you might be able to pull out a little bit more money than 4% from this particular bucket because we fully intend that that bucket goes dry. Yeah, we, we don't care if it goes to zero because we're planning on it because we have buckets two and three that are positioned to a better amount of stock and bond ratio than bucket one uh, to last much longer. But that bucket one is really secure, and it's the amount of money you save for the next five years, this is what I need to spend. And then we don't even touch bucket two and three, and we get we get more risk inside the portfolio by doing that. Yeah, and we kind of went, went and, into and more. And we take stress off your off your life too by structuring it a different way. Yeah, you can compartmentalize your str your stress and mm -hmm. your anxiety, I guess. Yep. We uh, we went into some more detail on this. I think it's our emergency savings podcast. That's um, right. We talked about different ways you can save in different buckets. Yeah. Um, you know, and and different buckets need to be. Um, different buckets also allow you to have different ratios of stock to bonds because you're going to spend differently in your 65 to 70 
five years versus your 75 plus. So the average household spending patterns in the United States, um, the age group between 65 to 75 spend about $67,000 a year on average in the U.S. And by the time you're 75, you're spending $53,280 is the most recent study. And the majority of that is still spent on housing, not including mortgage. Um, and then, obviously, you can guess what is slowly creeping up, and that's healthcare. Yeah, I guess uh, you know, right after you retire, you have all this free time. You uh, start tinkering yeah. around the house, replacing all your big screens with 4K TVs, and um, <laughs> grandkids are expensive. You can <laughs> yeah. spend time with them on your knees, and pretty soon you can't get down on your knees. Yeah. So um, you go to them versus them come to you. Yes, yeah. So it is a more expensive period of time. And you can prepare for that. But you, you do that, going back to our conversation, is you have to have the right amount of stock. Yeah. You cannot run away with it. Some people tell me they don't want any bonds in portfolios. That causes a different challenge for us. Um, it's not that you can't do it, but it just changes the sequence of returns. Yeah. So, you know, we've kind of established that, you know, a, a typical portfolio for your average investor needs to have stocks. It, it, almost at every stage of the every retirement. Stage. Early on. Typically, people are going to be more stock heavy. Um, it'll tear back as they approach retirement. Um, yeah. And so, so we've established you need stocks. What What's the best way to go out and do it? I mean, are, are you as an advisor, are you sitting down saying, okay, we've got a million dollar portfolio. Let's handpick a couple of stocks to represent the forty percent stock exposure we talked about, or you know, what what are ways that people get equity or stock exposure? So we're going we're gonna to talk about the most generalized ways pe- people should do this. There's more than one way to invest in the world. We, Absolutely. We know that. We don't think we're the only answer to this, um, this question. Particularly in our world, we, we're very academic. Uh, we like the academic approach because it gives us um, a foundation to stand on with the scientists who we serve, and they appreciate the academic approach. Academia is teaching us a couple of things. One is to manage risk, you need to spread out your risk. And so we spread out that risk by buying large swaths of a sector or an asset class. For instance, um, in large cap stocks, instead of holding the FANG stock, stocks, as they're commonly called, Facebook and um, Amazon, Amazon and, Netflix. and Netflix and Google, yeah. um, Alphabet technically, instead of holding just four stocks to rely upon your portfolio, we would rather have somewhere between minimum of 500 in an S&P 500 index, all the way up to a total stock market index or a global index, yeah. which thousands spreads that out. Thousands, thousands of, stocks. of stocks. And people think, oh, how are you going to ever have some big wins? You have wins through the consistency that not losing provides. And so you take away the risk of loss and you increase your risk of success. Yeah. And you do that by spreading out your risk. It's, it's just a statistical model that we're all taught in college. So that's one way. And then obviously the other way is to go out and diversify in the bond portfolio. Bonds are more confusing to me than stocks ever will be. Uh, bond managers are brilliant human beings. And there are more bonds than there are stocks. And so it's best to probably use an active bond manager, sometimes use an index uh, or an ETF for bonds. We generally like the active bond managers because bonds are so unique in the marketplace, and they're not very expensive to hire a bond manager. Um, they're less expensive product. Yeah. And so we generally buy bonds in a more traditional mutual fund and stocks in an ETF model. Yeah. And you, and you, you, you can capture the world with somewhere between six to 10 
ETF or fixed income bond managers yeah. out there. We do think that in some cases with people, it could make sense to uh, use a, maybe a separate account manager to help handpick stocks for someone who maybe wants to take a little more concentrated risk in certain areas. You know, um, sometimes I do sector investing for clients. So sure. if they're really interested in the technology side, yeah, yeah, you know, a 5% sleeve of of a tech ETF at Vanguard or at uh, BlackRock. Yeah, yeah. It's not a bad way to go. You're, you, ironically, you're holding the same type of heavy stocks already inside your S&P 500. Yeah. It's just that these are really, instead of having Procter & Gamble as part of your S&P 500 mix, you're really just going to focus on those top, top uh, tech stocks. Yeah. And, and some people also, they're really engaged in the idea of watching that more. Um, Artificial intelligence uh, ETFs are one that have popped up uh, lately in some conversations of mine. And those are starting to build their way into technology funds. Obviously, in our sector, we have people that are confident in healthcare. Since you're already a healthcare professional, you have to be careful how much you overweight your portfolio to healthcare. But you're also really comfortable that healthcare is going to be around for a long time because you're in it. It's just very dynamic. And so you want to still have a, a piece of healthcare. Yeah. Yeah, so you know, I, I think I think it's safe to say kind of our our general approach is we feel that most investors would benefit from a low cost, diversified approach to equities. Yes. Right. Yep. Instead of trying to pick stocks on your own. Yeah. Now, so, some people say that's really interesting stuff to me. I love watching Yahoo Finance, watching the movement of stocks. I I want to buy stocks. What what what's your answer to them typically? Well, you're gonna. I'm, I'm gonna go on the Warren Buffett philosophy, and that is, if you're gonna buy individual stocks, you better buy something you love and that you use, so that you understand it. Yeah. So you would understand. I mean, a lot of us. I have. I have my religious stocks. I call them uh, to clients, and when people are interested in that, I say, okay, let's go buy some things that you religiously use. You go to Costco every Saturday, and you walk out with more than you anticipated. You have a Netflix bill that pops up, and five of your children are watching four Netflix screens in your house at one time. Yeah, you have uh, you have your own addictions to being uh, binge watching, possibly uh, through Netflix. Yeah, what uh, are the chances of you canceling your Netflix Netflix, Netflix subscri subscription? Pretty low, <laughs> pretty right? Low, right? <laughs> um, you have your Apple product. You you might not stand in line like some people do, but yeah. but you definitely have an anticipate an anticipation of what's coming out or sure. Samsung. Yeah. Uh, so you like the technology side. And and another one that I think people are deeply religious about because it's part of their daily um, belief is Amazon. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, so those are the type of things that are interesting to purchase because you already use them and you have a belief that, you, that if you're using them, other people are, are equally engaged in the process. Yeah. So I do I discount buying those? No, not really. No, it, just don't make it most of your portfolio. Yeah, make yeah. it a small sleeve. Have some fun. Yeah, yeah. Take a take a small smaller percentage of your portfolio and say this is my I yeah. guess play account or you know if you, if you're going to branch away from those types of stocks like you've described, definitely go into emotionally saying I'm going to only invest what I what I'm I'm okay with. Yeah, losing some of right. Yeah, you know one of the ones that bug me though is when you get someone coming in and they bring in a quote newsletter of a stock picker for the last twenty years. Yeah. And I can, I, I want to say almost nine out of 10, if I can use that number, are failures. Sure. And, and, the re, and they tell you what stocks to pick, 
and then you're supposed to watch them all the time. But what happens is you pick the stocks from the newsletter written in March, and you don't do, look at your portfolio at all for another year. And all of a sudden you go look at the stocks that they picked back a year ago, and they're just half the price. Yeah, You're frustrated, but for some reason the new report says, well, you should have owned these now. So you give it another chance because you paid $300 a year for this newsletter subscription. Sure. And, and all the guy is showing you is his wins. Also, he's looking at it every day while you're in the operating room. You don't look at it. You're not good at analyzing it. And the one thing you're really bad at is your emotional reaction to the market. And yeah. so you've never made a decision how to get out. You never put in a stop loss into it. And, and when it goes down, you kind of shake your head and then you do it again. And I see people repeating bad behavior over and over and over in those sectors particularly. Sure. Fortunately, it's not a high number of clients we have to manage that. But yeah, I mean, it goes back to everyone knows that if you're going to hit a grand slam, typically you have to take a concentrated holding yeah. in a, a single position or a single couple positions. And so the, it's the lure of like hitting it big and being That's able right. to say, I tripled my money. And somehow you think you found the unicorn farm. Yes. Yeah. And, and you did not find the unicorn farm. You yeah. found someone marketing as if they did, and you really don't know the true answers. It's very easy to back data to sell a newsletter. It's yeah. so easy to go back and say, this is what I would have done. And, you know, it can be exciting when you when you hit it big. But I think for the, the majority of most clients' portfolios, more the diversified across asset classes, small, mid, large, growth yep. value, those types of considerations should be how you look at your equity exposure. We'll be the first ones to admit when we, when we move an account over and we see an Apple stock that's been held for 20 years, we're all drooling at it. Yeah. And yeah. we all really admire the individual who was able to do it. Yeah, sure. Um, but it's so rare, so yeah. rare to do it. So I, I guess to kind of wrap up, you know, what would you say the value is that you as an advisor add to a client's through ongoing meetings from year to year? When it comes to their stock exposure? Uh, I, would, I would say three things. Uh, the first thing that we add value for is to understand, to go back and, and talk through the dynamic of risk exposure when things are bad. Okay. So we, we have charts, and, and we have it in our financial planning program where we can go back and see since 1970 how a mix of asset classes in indexes would have worked. So we can show you anywhere from 100% stock down to 100% in bonds or cash, what the lowest year rate of return was. We can show you um, what the standard deviation is off that return. Yeah. We can add in inflation properly against the real rate of return that portfolio gave. And we can just discuss, can you lose that much in a portfolio? And then we can actually model it and we can say, if this next year your portfolio drops by 34% inside Monte Carlo analysis, you can go in there and we use a program called Money Guide Pro. And in there, you can say, okay, if this next year you lose 34%, but you do not sell, you just let it recover, are you still on track to retire? Yeah. And we can run that every single year, and I can give you an idea. I can't give you a promise, but I can give you an idea of how poorly your stock portion of your portfolio can do without you having to panic. That monitoring that risk expectation, I think, is one of the best things that we can provide. Along with that, number two is telling you where you should be in the amount of stock you need to hold in order to maintain some um, amount of assets that's consistent as things go up and down and maintain the risk of longevity 
and hoping that you don't run out of money. We can mathematically calculate that, and we can be extremely conservative in that amount of money. We can go and say, here's the lowest amount of stock. Matter of fact, we can build an entire portfolio. We can switch. We can model how you currently are. We can then tweak the portfolio on the side and say, how much stock can we take before we start to lose? And does it mathematically benefit us? We can just change it by percentages of 10. So yeah. 10% more stock, 20% more stock, 30. And we'll actually show you mathematical outcomes in um, backtesting probability over 10,000 trials. We'll pull out 1,000 random psych- samples yeah. um, out of those trials, and we'll say, here's the probability if you hold more stock. I hope that made sense over a, a podcast. Anyway, we can, we can give you some predictability uh, without promise. And then the uh, last thing I would say, which is the most important, is when to stop thinking stupid. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> stop thinking stupid means you're coming in, you're over-exaggerating what you believe is true yeah. from your personal analysis of something you can't control. Going back to the beginning, market returns are out of control. You know what else is out of control for you right now? Is when the market is going to go down relative to the recession ending. So. I mean, I, I, the expansion ending and the recession starting. So we're on 118 months next month in May. We're on 117-month economic expansion. Growth period, yeah. Longest economic expansion since post-Civil War. The, once we hit August, um, we'll, I'm sorry, once we hit August, it will be the longest post, uh, post-Civil War economic expansion okay. in history. That's a long time. And so August 1st, we hit 121 months. Now, compare it to someone who's old. An old person, and I mean that respectfully, you're 85 years old. And if you're listening to this podcast and you're 85, good on you. (laughs) I will say that. But if you're 85 years old, none of us know when you are going to pass away. Now, we can have an idea that you might pass away uh, based upon your... um, Parents looking at your, how your genetics are, that you're going to pass away in the next few years. Yeah. Uh, but you might live till you're 100. Absolutely. And you know what? This market might continue to expand for another several years. There's oh, yeah. nothing that says it's going to hit 121 months and die. Yeah. And markets, you trying to predict that is tough. Markets don't die of old age. Usually. They do not die of old age. Uh, Australia is the longest economic expansion in world history, and it's in year 47. So it's, it's an interesting dynamic of you trying to predict what's going to happen and you also trying to control risk. But don't be stupid as you approach it yeah. and say that you know when it's, it's going to happen. I can feel it. Yeah, yeah. There are a few people that get it right, though. <laughs> and then we just go, oh, lucky you. Because yeah. <laughs> now you have to get it right again. When is it going to go up? <laughs> exactly. That was hard. Yeah. Well, you know, thank you, Patrick. I think that's a hopefully good overview of the need for stocks or equities in your portfolio. Um, hopefully our listeners were able to glean something from this. We'd be happy to take deeper dives into specific questions or hopefully we can clarify um, you know, misconceptions out there about stocks or the need to own stocks or how much you should have. Uh, but thanks again, Patrick. You're welcome. Appreciate the conversation. Thanks.